You're listening to the Know the Cause podcast with Doug Kaufman. Visit us online at knowthecause.com and join the conversation at facebook.com slash knowthecause. Okay, now, my name is Doug Kaufman. Uh, I am a return home from Vietnam veteran 1970-71. I was a medical corpsman. We were trained uh, uh, for a couple of years before going overseas, and then we were attached to uh, the 7th Marine Division, I was. Corpsmen generally uh, help injured Marines, wounded Marines, whereas medics help injured uh, Army uh, personnel. Uh, got back from Vietnam and I was sick, and all the King's horses and all the King's men couldn't put me back together again. I tried Valium. We didn't know what uh, some of these stress disorders were back then, post-traumatic stress, et cetera, back in the 1970s. So they just said, try a little Valium or try a little cortisone and your skin will stop bleeding and so mm-hmm. forth. Did that. But it wasn't until I changed my diet and I picked up a parasitology book at the library, USC Medical School, where I was working with Dr. Everett Hughes, that I discovered that fungus parasitizes man. I thought I was in Vietnam and picked up a tapeworm, and once I killed that bad boy, I'd be great. Unfortunately, uh, fungi are a different animal than that tapeworm, but they parasitize man. They can mimic every disease known to man. They can wreak havoc with your thinking and so forth. Uh, Zoom forward with me now 40 years. I've been in this field. I've had a very successful uh, run of events. I've worked with some very prominent physicians introducing fungus and the poisons they make called mycotoxins into their practices helped a lot of their patients who couldn't get better. Started a radio show in the 1980s that just took off. It became syndicated and, uh, and uh, away it went. And that uh, yielded a television show beginning in the late 1990s that I'm still doing today. The show is called Know the Cause. It's widely distributed. And I am so proud to be sitting right now with Jenny Herbacek. And uh, Jenny is a registered nurse who almost mirrors, her past six years almost mimic my past 40 years. Jenny, you were a nurse who uh, felt great. As a matter of fact, exercised, worked out, ate well, juiced, everything was good. So take me back to a day in 2009 when everything went bad for you. Right. it's a day I don't want to remember. Just went um, to the doctor for my yearly checkup, and I, as I've said many times, all my yearly checkups were always fine. Great, you know, great CBC. My cholesterol is fine. My blood sugar is fine. Uh, but at that particular appointment, they found just felt a small little uh, lump in my breast and thought it was a cyst, and it turned out not to be a cyst. Um, anyway, and one of the things that I asked immediately was, how bad was it? People will tell me, Jenny, you wrote a book on how to find cancer early. Nobody wants to know they have cancer. And I, and I say, I beg to differ, yes, they do. Because if you're going to have cancer, you want to find it when it is the very smallest possible, when it's the easiest to, to beat, maybe hopefully with just lifestyle change um, and, and detox and, and nutrition. So anyway, when I asked that question, how long have I had it, they said, oh, you've had this seven to eight years. A couple of doctors told me eight to 10 years. And I thought, my goodness eight to 10 years, and at the time it just occurred to me, well, I can send a text message from Florida to California, but we can't find cancer for eight to 10 years? It just, I thought something just didn't sound right. Um, then I got my 
latest issue of RN Magazine in the mail last week, and they had a, on the cover, it said, mapping the human genome. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, we can map the human genome. I mean, you can, they look, they look, look at the sequencing, sequencing of the DNA, the telomeres, everything, but yet we wait for cancer to grow seven to eight years before we can see it on an imaging test, or it has to be a big enough lump for us to stick a needle in it for a biopsy. But something does not sound right. We can do all this microscopic stuff. Why, why are we not finding cancer you know, at year two, three, or four instead of seven to eight years when we have this huge lump? And the interesting thing was it was a tiny lump then, and they told you seven or eight years before. You as a medical person challenged all of that. Right. Uh, you went ahead and had uh, the surgery done. You said, I love the opening few chapters. You were fearful. You were stressed. You were being pushed uh, into making quick decisions, you know, that always blows my mind. Right. It's been there seven or eight years, and by the way, you have 48 hours. It's yes. that bad, Jenny, you have to get it. And it was a type of cancer that is quite controversial as to whether it's cancer or not, right. um, th this particular type, ductal carcinoma. And all of a sudden, you found yourself faced with 100 decisions. Right. Why couldn't have someone picked it up when it was 100 cells instead of a bolus, instead of a big bunch of cells now on my breast? Uh, did I do the right thing? Uh, reconstruction? Uh, would I go through chemotherapy? I mean, you faced all these questions. I did, and but at the time, I was not really given options. I was told, this is what we're doing, and here's your lab slip for this blood work, here's for your echocardiogram, here's for your um, your heart stress no, test. No choices, in other words. Yes, here's these. for your bracket test, and they just started handing me papers and appointments, and here, call this doctor, call this surgeon, and there was no option. And what I tell people was, it's like seven or eight years ago, somebody slipped a ticket in my back pocket that said breast cancer, Jenny Herbacek. And I've been walking around with this for years. I mean, I've been going, yeah. getting up every morning, going to bed every night with this ticket in my back pocket. All that doctor did was reach around and pull that ticket out of my pocket and put it in front of my face and I all of a sudden revealed it. Mm -hmm. And so when you get a diagnosis with, of, of any kind of cancer, I tell people, don't panic because you didn't just get it. You've had it for many, for many years, um, and it just, it's just that it became revealed. Someone showed it to you. So you have time to think. You have time. Um, basically, I would love for you to find it before anyone can even tell you because I tell you in my book, um, I discovered so many ways that you can find it years before a traditional imaging test or a biopsy would, would confirm cancer. Jenny, as a nurse, you know that what we're candidly and confidentially telling people in exam rooms mm -hmm. is, look, your grandma had it, your aunt had it. Right. Uh, there is a genetic component, and boy, you guys don't know how small that fragment is, but we're hearing there's a genetic component. Oh, go ahead and have the BRCA test you mentioned, right. which... You know, I'm, well, I'd love to tell you that's a highly accurate test. Right. But well, Doug, 95% of the people who have breast cancer do not have BRCA positive, right. which means that something other than BRCA positive is causing breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're Okay, get, where's your heart? <laughs> Good. Take me down that road. You did all this work for three years, Jenny, as, yeah. a, as a medical person. Right. You dug in and did all this work, and then I want to dwell on what your work showed because... Mm -hmm. You know, you take yourself back to 2009, laying on that table, being told you have cancer, and it's the size of my pinky, the end of my pinky finger, um, and that was there eight years. What could I have done seven years earlier right. to detect it? But walk me down that road. Um, what do you believe cancer is? Okay, let me go back to your lifestyle because okay, you, you were talking about people um, 
saying that's genetic, your grandmother right. has it, right. your aunt has it. Well, I believe that is because we do what our aunt and our grandmother did. We have the same recipes, we have the same lifestyle. Um, I've read some studies where they'll take twins that are from Asia, they'll bring one over here into a family that has a lot of cancer, and the other one stays over there. The twin that comes to the American family will adopt the same cancer statistic um, as the family over here. Meaning it's not DNA. Right, and then so I wanted to tell you the story when I was going through chemotherapy, which was really um, just eye-opening to me. You know, people, I, w I would go to the infusion room and I would sit in this wonderful, nice, big recliner and they come and they start an IV and, and the- Lots they of organic juices for you. Oh there. goodness, well I'll get to that. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm in a room with all these other people and they've got their recliners and they get warm blankets for you and um, I'm looking around the room and, and I'm thinking, these people obviously want to live because they have driven here they have willingly gotten out of their car, they've walked in here, they've checked in at the desk, they've come in, they've sat in the chair. So they really do want to live, but yet they're, we're letting this poison be run in their body. And, I get, and I'm just pondering this, and, I'm, and if cancer is a disease of toxicity and deficiency, I'm thinking we're giving ourselves more toxin. And I'm looking at the people, and there was a young man um, several times when I went for chemo, um, quite young that was having a re recurrent brain tumor and he's eating Nutter Butters and he's having a soda. And I thought, I know this guy wants to live, but yet he's, they're feeding, you know, he's having, he's having, snacks. A, he's having snacks that are processed, that are sugar, that are highly inflammatory, that are acid causing, all of the things that I talk about in the book that are factors to cancer. Your nurse, do, the nurses I understand wear double gloves in case they spill a drop of this. Right. It's that toxic and they take special concerns not to pour it down the drain. Right. I, I, this is so amazing to me. I've never been in one of those units. Right. Uh, thank it's God. It's not a place you want to be. <laughs> no. You did four of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you were talking about your hospital visits where processed food was all that was allowed. Right. Uh, don't these people have a clue that cancer is fed by sugar? Right. So why are you eating whatever you call them, nutter butters or whatever and soda right. pops? Um, I, I put the onus smack on the oncologists and their training. Right. I am angry as they're, can be. They're victims of their education I, because they're, they're encompassed by what they know and they're not taught about, they don't have nutrition classes, maybe one during school and then once they get out of medical school, the education they get is usually from the, it's, it's drug related because when you go to the doctor, you come with a list of, of, of symptoms and they're like, okay, what therapy, what, what prescription can I give you to treat those symptoms? And so it's like going to your plumber and asking him to change your light bulb. You go to the doctor, you're going to get a prescription, if there is one, to fix your symptoms. Jenny, does not one of those guys go home, lay in bed with his arm around his wife at night and say, honey, three more died today. I'm losing 90% of my patients and ever question what's going on within their practice. Do they not? I mean, education is one Doug, thing, but then if, there's life. If I found this information that's in my book, and, and I, I am just a normal person. I'm, I'm not brilliant IQ, I'm just a normal person. I just say shame on them, shame on them. These people who treat cancer, if I can find it, surely they can find it. Um, it, it did take me a little work, but this is not my life treating people with cancer. And these people have a huge responsibility. And I do believe that they do want to help their patients, um, but I wish they would look outside the box and, look, and not be victims of their education. When, when I had that incident with, with the people in the chemo room and the eating burgers and fries, and then I went over to this, I thought, I need something to eat, I'm not feeling good. And, and I, I usually would bring 
some nuts or something or an apple and I, I walked over to the snack machine and I looked at it and it was like a snack machine you would see in a, in a motel mm -hmm. on the side of the road. And so I asked my, um, when I went in to see my oncologist that day, or the next time, I I'd brought, I'd brought a box of all these supplements I was going to take, because someone had given me a book called Beating Cancer with Nutrition by oh, Patrick, Patrick Quillen. Patrick Quillen, yeah. Yes, so I, um, I went and got everything. I ordered everything, and I put it in a basket, and I went back to my, as I think it was my last chemotherapy that I did, and I brought that basket in, and the nurse said, you can't bring this in here. I said, oh, yes, I can. He told me anything I take, he wants to know. So I set it all up and he came in and I was trying to show him and he really wasn't interested. And so I started talking to him about the people in the, out, in the, out in the infusion room. I said, Don't, do y'all have a nutrition program around here? Because I was, Doug, I was actually offering to help. Yeah. I was offering yeah. to put together a nutrition sure. program for them. I said, maybe some posters on, on real food. And I said, because these people want to live. I know they do. They walked in here. Wow. But, but you're, it's Are like you a troublemaker? I, he said, I, he said, he actually said to me, why do you ask so many questions? Why don't you just do what I say? Oh my God. Actually said that to me. And I thought, you mean other people don't ask questions? That didn't occur to me. But he looked over his glasses to me when I said, have you seen the snack machine out there? I said, maybe some green apples or, you know, some fresh fruit and, you know. And he said, my dear, I am not in charge of the snack machine. Yes, he is, indirectly. Well, and that's when I said to myself, and I wish I had said it out loud. You know how you could kick yeah. yourself when you walk out of a room and say, I wish I had said that. But I just said, well, then, my dear, you're no longer in charge of me either. Yeah. And so oh. that was the end of oncologist number one. So our troublemaker here, I love the way you identify <laughs> these uh, oncologists number one, and there are a litany of these oncologists, folks. She fires him, brings in someone new, but in the interim, she is writing a book. It's called Cancer Free, Are You Sure? She is documenting <clears throat> what she is finding out in the real world outside of oncology units, whereas people can go for a price, you mail a check with $500 off to Greece, and you can get these amazing tests done. This is one of the most amazing tests because long before that lump could be palpated in her breast, cancer cells are growing, and there are accurate blood tests that can determine all of that. Hence the book, Cancer Free, dot, dot, dot. Are you sure, question mark. Right. Um, let me tell you how I found these tests. So I finished my therapy, um, and I decided I have got to do something about this because I, I noticed people all around me were having recurrences, and I thought, well, dang, I've done the treatment. I don't want to have the recurrence because 90% of the people with the, with the recurrence end up succumbing to the disease, mm -hmm. and that is, that is tragic. It is very tragic. Um, so, is this called metastasis? Yes. So when the cancer comes back, it comes back some new place, and right. for months it's been digging into that new place, yes. but nobody could tell. Right. No one knows because right. they're not checking. They're thinking they're cancer-free, hence the name of my book, Are You Sure? Right. Don't, I want you to see a recurrence coming early when it's so much easier to deal with. Because um, weren't you told, good news, high five, Jenny, we beat this cancer yes. with our chemotherapy and all the things we did, pat ourselves on the back if we can reach that far back and go into the next patient's room. Well, you found out just a few days later that wasn't accurate. No, I wasn't cancer-free because right. I did a circulating tumor cell test, not the one that's done here in the United States. Um, the one that is here in the United States is a company called Cell Search. It's a great test to find um, metastatic cancer, but why would you ever want to wait to have metastatic cancer? Yeah. I, I don't want anyone to ever qualify for that test. You cannot walk in and order it. You have to have, the doctor has to have a... Um, a reason to order the test. They have to suspect metastatic disease. It, I mean, at that point, that to me, I, don't, I won't ever want right. to have that test. I love what you've done, and that is your, your aim directly at telling people, you know what, 
the road forks here, guys. Yes. You can go have all of the tests and all the laboratory and sit in that room with a comfortable hot blanket on you eating bonbons, or you can make some decisions right. that may change your world. I love your analogy of the fork in the road because this is what happened to me. I'm going down the road, I hit this detour, I get cancer, and I follow the orange cones, and then I come right, they put me right back on the same road. But I tell people it cannot be a detour, it has to be a fork in the road. Mm -hmm. You have to change, but no one helps you change. No one tells you that there are tests you can get to see a recurrence coming early. No one tells you there are tests that you can get that will find cancer years before a mammogram or a PET scan. Um, and so it's interesting how I found this. Um, I got on the phone and I was just doing internet research and I was making phone calls and I ended up talking to a lady named Annie Brandt and she is with Best Answer for Cancer Foundation. Um, she had had breast cancer at that time about 10 years ago and she goes, oh, we're having our convention and it actually was in Arlington that year. It was three years ago. And I said, wow, I said, could I help? I would love to come and help. I'd volunteer, I'll do whatever. And she said, well, sure. So we'll, we'll assign you some hours while I paid the fee. I went to the conference and I walked in and I sat down at this, in this huge conference room and I looked at the screen and, and the, the, the screen, the, the slides that were up were very technical. It was like mTOR pathways and, and I thought, wow, this is a little deep for the public. So as it turns out, I was completely lost. I listened to that lecture and I went out and this conference came with free, um, not free, it was included with the price, um, organic food, they had vegetarian options, everything was, the air was clean, the water was alkaline, and I sat down at this big round table during the snack and I started looking around the table and everybody was a physician. And it was Dr. So-and-so from, from China, one from New York, one from South Africa. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is, a, this is a medical convention for doctors. What am I doing here? And I thought, because I thought it was for the general public, but it was Best Answer for Cancer Foundation was putting on the, the IOICP um, yearly conference, which is the International Association for Integrative Oncology Physicians. Wow. And here I was, and I thought, they're going to look at me, and they're going to go, who are you? So I've got my name tag, and, and it does say RN on it, so I decide they're going to think I work for one of them. So I'm good. So, exactly. so I just started engaging them in conversation, and um, they are had these a... receptive oncologists? They are so nice. I, cool, have, huh? I have some of the best friends around the world really? that are... That are doing things like hydrogen peroxide IV and, and oxidative therapies and, and far-infrared saunas and um, diet and just helping people to heal the body. They're, they're dealing with fungus, yeah. they're dealing with parasites, they're and dealing with low energy. these are oncologists, these are oncologists. They're, I, they're members of the IOICP and you can actually go to their website and click on find a physician. I think there's usually about 300 of them show up from around the world at that Jenny, conference. Um, Number one, congratulations. I mean, this book I see as a breakthrough. I, I think it's going to heal so many people who have been told, well, you don't need it, you're already healed. Right. You know, your margins were fine, everything was good, you were told your cancer is gone, and a week later you find out it wasn't gone, it was just waiting to metastasize in your body, uh, thanks to these tests that you talk about. Um, can you tell us in closing, six years, seven years after your ordeal, mm -hmm. you are better off because of it. I, I love your analogy of carrying around a, you have breast cancer in your hip pocket right. and the doctor reached behind you and pulled it out, aha, you have breast cancer. It, it read almost like a book of betrayal a bit. Mm -hmm. You weren't told the truth sometimes. Right. You were forced and rushed into things as I believe all cancer patients are. What makes me the maddest is when your life is the lowest, these people tend to make it more difficult for you. And I'll right. never understand that, but that's what so many of them do for a living. 
I'm thrilled to know that there are some oncologists whose eyes are opening. It's about time. Those are the ones I questioned who went home and laid down with their spouses and said, honey, I'm not going to lose 90% of my patients. I'm going to do something different. Right. Your book is the genesis of a whole new understanding. I, th mm -hmm. I think, Jenny, this is bigger than you even know. Right. I think this is ordained to be right. a book that oncologists are going to start reading and saying, Oh, I, Thank you I for hope it. so. Are you through with cancer now or what? Uh, where you are know, you? know, I, I test all the time. Every, every decision I make, I think, I walk into a, I don't drink soda, but I don't drink soda because I don't want to feed cancer. You know, every decision I make, we live in such a toxic world that every decision that you make needs to be for your health, and unfortunately, it has to be. You walk in, there's an organic apple, there's a regular apple. Well, I get the organic apple. You know, and I tell people, they'll, they'll invite me over, they'll say, we're going to go to a restaurant, and I say, well, you know, I'll find something to eat wherever I go. Don't worry about me. I will, I will per, per, you know, per, yeah. peruse the, the menu, and I will figure it out. I may have them just bring me back olive oil and some lemon or whatever for my salad dressing, um, but you have to think about, is there vegetable oil and canola oil in that salad dressing they're putting on your salad? Because that's going to clog the, the membrane of your cells. And um, then we know cancer is a disease of toxicity and deficiency. And if that membrane is clogged and you've got all these bad oils and inflammation going around, you know, you're, you're feeding cancer. So every decision I do, everything I do pretty much is based on trying to stay healthy. Your first seven or eight chapters, I saw the fear mm -hmm. that you experienced. And as the book went on, <clears throat> I saw the stress kind of dissipating. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, when yes. I interviewed you right. today and, and see you today, that the fear, you're making wise decisions, mm -hmm. you're now counseling others to make those wise decisions. Yes. Look, we're all gonna go home one day, right. right? We're all gonna die one day. But living in fear, I believe in quality longevity not longevity. Right. I don't want to hear I have prostate cancer at 40 years old and live 40 more years visiting urologists. Right. You know, that's not my idea of a right. great quality life. So your work is of paramount importance. You've really done it. You should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. And you are sure you're cancer free. Absolutely. I, every day I work on it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Know the Cause podcast with Doug Kaufman. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or tell a friend. For more, visit us online at knowthecause.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash knowthecause.